This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Squarespace features an elegant interface, beautiful templates, and incredible 24 by 7 support. Try Squarespace out today by going to squarespace.com and use the offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. <clears throat> Hello? Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Good. You're using your public radio voice. John, I'm using my public radio voice. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. You can't unhear it. <sighs> hmm. I think I first heard Ira Glass discuss the way that on public radio, you speak in this tone and occasionally emphasize a strange word. <laughs> <laughs> his, you know, because he's got the hourglass voice, but then he does the the like you know all things considered voice. Yeah, where something like every third word mm-hmm. is emphasized for reasons that are not entirely clear. <laughs> A strange game, Doctor Falcon. <laughs> the only winning move is not to play. I'm Robert Siegel. <laughs> oh man, uh, we have fun. Uh, we, we do. We kid, don't we? Yeah, this is a. I, I like the. I like the way you're easing into this episode. It's just it feels chill. Mm. I was. You just your your chill. I feel pretty chill. Maybe we should try to do the whole episode this way. Hmm. Mm. Do, you, do you think that we have that um, that much chill in our chill reservoirs? Like a gentleman. Like. <laughs> As you do. As you do. Oh, my God, I'm tired. I'm just perma-tired. Are you? I am. I just, it's, uh, oof, boring. It's boring. Yeah. Big weekend, though. Uh, happy Father's Day. Yeah, thanks. My Father's Day, uh, uh, my kid just dissed me all day. <laughs> so it was just like, I I had to hearken back, I'm sure, to all the all the Father's Days that, I mean, you know, I think I was a pretty dutiful kid about that stuff like if it was father's day i i understood that my job was to celebrate father's day with a with a cheery face so i you know i fell on my sword a lot as a kid in order to to grease the wheels make the machine keep running smoothly mm-hmm. i wasn't somebody that you know my sister would stand there on your birthday and just tell you exactly what she thought about you but I wasn't that kind of guy. On your birthday, I understood that the expectation was that this was your special day. Yeah, I think also it was partly the age we were coming up in where people didn't respect their parents like they were supposed to. But it was still like one of the days that you were supposed to act like it was the 50s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Thanksgiving, uh, Valentine's Day even. You're just supposed to, you're supposed to sh- shape up, <laughs> spit comb your hair. Mm-hmm. Be a good kid for a day. You bring your father his slippers, and if he doesn't have, have slippers, he makes them out of paper. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I had a great day, man. My family That's killed nice. it. I, I did not deserve any of it, but it was well, really nice. you know, they, they, they adore you, and, and rightfully so. Yeah, and, well, it was good, though, because, I mean, I, there were two big bangers for, for Father's Day. Uh, we went out to lunch at my favorite restaurant, which also oh. happens to be my, father's, or my, uh, my daughter's favorite restaurant. Really? And you ordered bangers? I had bangers and mash, governor. And uh, and I got a, I got a Father's Day present, which like many of the presents that I get and enjoy was uh, kind of for the house. Oh sure, but uh, sure. So I it got was a, 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 a big roll of tape. 
<laughs> I request that I find a real job. <laughs> did, uh, did they get you some more post-it notes where you're running out? <laughs> no, you know what? <clears throat> Anything that I buy, the, like... Sates, slakes my thirst for all of my former passions in life now go directly to my daughter. If I go out, if I go to Flax, and I buy $80 worth of office supplies, they just disappear. They're just gone. They, I, I set them down on the table for a minute, and then they're just gone. And then there's one drawing of a dog in every notebook, and they're all just all over her room. <laughs> I got a... Boy, you talk about a thought technology. I, this is boring. I, I'm not going to become this guy, but I got, I've got. i really been wanting... You know what? Are you familiar with the uh, the term sous vide? With that oh. way of cooking, way, 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 I got this uh, sous vide thing that you can you attach it to a pot. It looks like a big lightsaber, and it and you then you put your food in a bag, you get the air out, and it cooks it flawlessly, flawlessly. This really? this is something you should look at. You put a steak in a bag, you drop it in this water, you say make this 129 degrees, it makes it exactly 129 degrees, perfectly cooked, and you don't have to do anything. You don't even have to do it on the stove since you're just plugging it in somewhere. What color is it, though? The the, the food? Yeah. Oh. I, I can't imagine boiling it in a bag is some kind of like delicious, <laughs> gives it a nice like crusty. No, no. But what you do is you, you, you do it in the sous vide. It takes an hour, hour and a half. And you take it out. And the thing is, if you, if you left it in for two hours, it wouldn't cook more because it, it stops at the temperature you tell it. It's really cool. And then you sear it on the, uh, on the range or however you like to do it. I see. I see. Yeah. So there's a second step or a third step or whatever. You then you then sear it. You want to sear it, otherwise it's kind of like eating a boiled egg. Well, no, that's no, not true. Right. It's still delicious, and you can you can do stuff to it. Anyway, I was just very excited because I really wanted that. It's not something I would have bought for myself, but now I've I've already I've I've sous vide all the things. Yeah, Many and things everybody sous vide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, and we went to that Brazilian steak place I like for for lunch. So oh, that's we a didn't nice place. we didn't really need more meat, but it was a good day. Well, I'm glad you had a good day. Yeah, but your your kid was dissing you. Oh yeah. Well, and you know, as you as you said at the beginning of this episode, all, all of five and a half minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's six uh, minutes after the hour. I'm always tired, and I don't know what to do about it. And I think that you know, I think that did you see the did you see the Getty heir who died the other day in his um in his Hollywood mansion? No. Uh, you know, one of the Gettys, one of the one of the grandsons of J. Paul Getty or the great grandsons, and uh, they're all rich as sin. And some of them have done things like start uh, photo sharing companies, and some of them just sort of sit around and do methamphetamines. And this Getty heir, I think, is about our age. Yeah, and he died uh, mysteriously, but but also. Not mysteriously, because he was he had a toxic level of meth in his body. Oh man! And and yet, you know, I don't think like he OD'd as much as it just all caught up with him. Intestinal hemorrhage. Intestinal hemorrhage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you realize, uh, like, there's the there's one version of being tired all the time that you try to counteract with go fast pills. And I know a lot of people uh, get addicted to various kinds of speed because they just need that just a little bit of like, come on, just, you know, like I often feel like I was made by a, a somewhat 
neglectful craftsman who did not carburate me quite correctly. And there's a there's some turbo lag in because I am a turbo model, but it's sort of an early turbo. It takes a while to spool up, and then all of a sudden it's there. The power's there, but it's and I just I I keep thinking that what I need is like a little shot of of uh, you know carburetor, little little shot of like ether in my carbs uh-huh, uh-huh. every day just to get going at a normal level. Not to be a uh, ubermensch, not to go like disco dancing, but just a little thing that like would just get me over the hump. Right, to get your engine started. Yeah, and co- you know, coffee sort of doesn't quite perform this role. And, uh, and because I am a, uh, a non-drug user... I'm fortunate enough not to be able to consider all the many different options of super person drugs that uh, all the other people in the world uh, resort to. So I just have to sit and think. <laughs> I, I, I keep considering this one post-it note that's now yellowed around the edges uh, that says eat less, eat better and exercise. Oh, yeah. And meditate. And I look at that post-it note every day, and I go, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." But isn't there some? Isn't there a vitamin B twelve shot or something? And you imagine if you were a rich person, if you were a, if you were a, a rich person who felt like very uh, that their contribution was crucial, right? I mean, if you're a, a Getty heir, you probably imagine that your contribution to this day is is highly valued. It's more important than an average person's contribution. Even just like all the, the day-to-day like accounts and correspondence kind of, maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking that this is royalty or something, but just like the day-to-day stuff, like people are going to notice if you're, if you're not on, uh, on point. Yeah. It's like that. It's like the guy in uh, Fox, Fox catcher. Yeah, exactly. That's or exactly as, what I was just thinking of. As John Hodgman called him, Fox wrestler. <laughs> uh, that was a weird movie. Yeah. The little Fox wrestler guy. And you know, here's this guy who's, uh, who's obviously very troubled and not even 100% all marbles accounted for uh but he's got he's got 15 people working for him and his daily correspondence is being cataloged somewhere so anyway eat uh, eat better exercise meditate uh but but last night i had a root beer float Mm. which is the opposite of eat better, exercise, and meditate. Although there's a meditative quality to a root beer float. In homage to Lord of the Rings, uh, I I assume I've started a new thing I'm just calling second dinner. (laughs) So sometimes I'm out of sync. First of all, as as you know, my family snacks. My family has never sat down to an actual meal. They just still eat things out of bags all day. Mm. Whereas I like to sit down and and eat, and I'm the weirdo in that case. So sometimes I'll have like a light snack-like dinner with my family. And then right right around the time I'm thinking, well... I don't really have time. I can watch the rest of this wrestling documentary, and then I should really should get to bed. Mm-hmm. So last night, uh, I made corned beef hash. Oh, you and I are two birds of a feather. I was laying in bed. I was this, this, in, this, this is at 11.15. I made corned I, beef hash. I was in bed and had already gone to sleep and woke up because in my dream, I started dreaming about the grays. Oh, no. And then... and. 
in dreaming about and I don't remember whether I was dreaming that that the possum that lives in my attic wasn't a possum but was really like a little gray that had just been living in the attic for the last six months or what it was but I started to I started to dream about the grays and then of course my room was populated with them peeping at me from behind things and so I woke up out of a dead sleep and I was like oh god it was about 12.30 because now I, I'm a person that goes to bed before 12.30. I'm a person that goes to bed long enough before 12.30 that I can go to sleep, have a dream about the grays, and still wake up by 12.30. Oh, it's the worst. And so I went downstairs and I ate a hot link and uh, like half a pound of brisket and did a crossword puzzle. <laughs> and then by 1.30... Any I mean, doctor tells you that's the best way to get back to sleep. At 1.30, brisket. I was like full of hot link and brisket <laughs> and halfway through the Sunday crossword puzzle. And I was like, what am I doing? Jesus Christ, there aren't grays living in your attic. Go back to sleep. And so I went back to sleep full of that food. And now here I am talking to you and you talking to me and we are both still full of that food. I presume. Oh no, this is your, you, you're, you're absolutely dead on. I mean, I made, so another uh, dingus that we have in the kitchen that we like to use is this like a slow cooker. And, uh, so you put in, you, you buy, you buy the giant corned beef in a bag, comes with a little, you know, brining or whatever it comes, you know, a little, it's got the little thing with the seeds in it and stuff. You put that in, all you do is you drop that in this pot, you cover it with water, you put the lid on and cook it on low for 10 hours. And when it comes out, you've got a giant ass corned beef brisket. Mm. And so, uh, that I took about half of that, but probably about <laughs> at least, at least two pounds of cooked brisket. I, I cooked in a giant, giant pan. And I thought to myself, this is great. I'll have corned beef for days. For days. You can't, this is, it's, it, the, the, I, I was thinking I should have used a larger pan. We don't have a larger pan. We need a larger <laughs> pan to accommodate the amount of corned beef I'm making and I'm going to enjoy for it, probably a, a, a week's time. Yeah. After I was done with my uh, seconds on second dinner, mm-hmm. I, uh, I I had about as yeah, I filled half of a quart Ziploc bag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, 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 I was thinking about this the other day, that, that the one thing that people of all races, creeds, religions, and nationalities, the one thing that would bring peace to the world is if you just gathered all the warriors together and introduce the topic, how do you best cook a brisket? Hmm. Because cooking a brisket is a thing that I can't think of a single culture that doesn't have an opinion about cooking a brisket, right? I guess except for Hindus. Um, Hindus probably aren't going to join in that conversation, but you know. But they have an opinion, which is to not do it. To not do it, right. But I mean, think about, mm-hmm. think about you put everybody together in a room, and they're all mad, and they're all, Argh! and then it's like, wait a minute, there's a, we have a brisket here that needs cooking. And there'd be a, quite a lot of contentious discussion about how to cook it. But I think what you do in that case is you bring out a whole bunch of briskets and you say, you know what, let's, let's everybody cook the, their brisket the way they, you know, we'll get all the resources here. Everybody gets, gets their different style of, of uh, cooker and seasoning and you get a couple of assistants and then everybody cooks their brisket. And by that point, the, whatever everybody was mad about, it would fade. It it's like it's like Top Chef meets uh, McLaughlin Group. You get everybody mm-hmm. together, and we're all gonna every every week we're gonna cook some kind of a food, and you make it the way that you make it. 
You make it the way you make it. Mm-hmm. And then we and then we all share it. I have a big meal together. But you know, the thing is, it ha- I think it has to be a brisket because the brisket is the you know the brisket is the hub of the food wheel, right? I mean, if, more than if, more than potatoes. Yeah, I mean, you ever you ever have a you ever have like a potato in Chinese food? Mm, that's a good point, right? But but you're gonna find some equivalent of a brisket. Oh, absolutely, like a like a clay pot or something like that. Yeah, yeah, uh huh, uh huh. So so I think the brisket is the because what is what what is a brisket? It's like a tough, unlovable piece of meat that everybody has figured out in their various cultures, <laughs> much like us, <laughs> different ways to soften. And mm. make palatable. Some of it with sugary sauce. Some of it with long, slow. But you're saying you know, this is maybe a path to peace. I'm saying brisket is a path to peace. Mm. Mm-hmm. Dan Benjamin says something that uh, I agree with. Uh, wow. yeah, for once, for once, he says uh, he says coffee for him. The first cup of coffee gives him just enough energy to make the second cup of coffee. Well, right, but you know, I get to that second cup of coffee feeling good, and then. Like tip over into the third cup of coffee, and I need a nap. Uh, the, you know, and this is the problem with your post-it note is that you're right. All of our options have been exhausted, except for the obvious and correct one. Yeah, which is that it's like here's 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 what here's what you're facing as, as you as you uh, as you. <laughs> walk slowly trudge in your slippers toward 50 is that you know you got to do all those things you got to quit everything yep. you got to start you got to start eating like a normal person you yep. got to exercise sleep basically you have to change your entire life mm-hmm. into a series of extremely dull consistencies in order to achieve a baseline level of normal energy <laughs> and then if you do any of those things wrong you're just going to die now you know, I, I I realized something about being in your teens and twenties a long time ago. Yeah, I may have even realized it when I was still in my twenties. But that is that in your teens and twenties, you are afforded several opportunities to glimpse, not just glimpse, but but for a brief period, actually experience the feeling of having achieved some level of transcendence or enlightenment. You know, when you are young, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, the, the 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 course of life affords you these brief, shining, explosive moments of either like heightened consciousness, tremendous revelation, like physical sort of uh, completeness, or you know, like and and the, and the first time that you do certain kinds of drugs, the first time you have certain kinds of athletic experiences, the first time you have certain kinds of sexual experiences, you are given a glimpse through the cloud of what it is, not just to see it, but what it is really like to live somewhere way up the ladder. And so you then make the mistake of thinking that it was that, it was that set of conditions or that particular experience and you keep going back and trying to duplicate that experience to get back to the it's not that the experience was so great but you 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 arrived way up the ladder and you want to get back there and the the tragic lesson is that the only way to get up that ladder and stay for any length of time is to climb it it's the it's the climbing that releases that elation and discovery it's the climbing but if you weren't ever, you know, if you weren't ever allowed that that momentary touristic 
you know, half an hour up the ladder, you wouldn't know it was there. You wouldn't know there was something to seek. Um, and so in that sense, it makes sense that we are given that, that little moment. But the problem is that there isn't any way to get up that ladder except to climb it rung by rung and do the work and put in the time and, and, and make the progress. And yet most of us, myself included, you know, spend decades trying to figure out if there's a little pill or some kind of five minute a day exercise or some sort of combination of raw vegetables and no gluten or uh, just to get, you know, just even to get up two rungs uh -huh. on this endless cloud ladder. And in, instead, you just keep uh, coming. You just you, you wake up every day. You're at the bottom of this thing, and you look at that yellowed post-it note that says "Eat better, exercise, meditate," and you go, "Fucking come on, something, somebody, rock music. Where are you?" Uh, yeah, and the other the other thing that's a yes, I totally agree. And there's another like very obvious and yet still dawning realization for me. It's, it's, it's one of those things that's been hiding in plain sight for my entire life, and I'm, I'm finally realizing and trying to get better at accepting this. And this will reveal that I am, in fact, a terrible person, but that's part of the process of climbing the two-step ladder. Um, you know, it's... I, I think one starts to realize the limitations of living for yourself, of living for oneself, is part of the problem. And this, maybe this ties into some one of those Erickson stages of development or something, but, but, you know, as you start to think about all of the things that are difficult and it's, you know, I don't know, for some reason, this is going through my mind yesterday when we, we stopped by Safeway, uh, the, the giant Safeway in the Castro. And I had to exercise some serious, keep moving and get out of the way with my kid. Cause there are dozens and dozens of people in their twenties and thirties running around with bottles of wine, looking incredibly stressed out. And I was saying, honey, you've got to move out of these out of these people's way. They are young and they want to get to a party and they will kill you. <laughs> because nothing there 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 is such serious social activity, self-focused social activity going on, ironically enough. And I I was I was just thinking like first of all, I just find young people uh, insufferable so much of the time now. It's really weird. I, I I feel like I went. I'm not just merely an old man. I'm an old man who finds a lot of lot of young people insufferable because <laughs> there's such a, a, such a, a a joyful level of self involvement. And I you know so anyway you can of course extend that to to a million ways of trying to understand the world. But you know when you look at something like the I hate to say this, ugh, but you look at the exercise more, eat better, get sleep, meditate, all that kind of stuff, post it notes in your life, and you say that's that's really boring. And not that fun, especially if it's for you. Because for you, for me, we want the pill. We want the the glass of something, or the mug of something, or the you know, or the or the cyborg attachment that will lay, allow me to have some kind of like meaningful level of energy. It, it's when you start thinking, though. You know what? <sighs> I have to really not take care of other people, but I have to do stuff for other people. Not, not like in a grudging way, but in like this is – really this is who we all are. This is who we all have been. It's just that in America, especially if you're a white dude, maybe if you got a little bit of money, it, you can keep living in that land of I just do stuff for me 
for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon you're that 70-year-old guy who's dating the 20-year-old woman and thinking this is really still going great. But, you know, it's something it's, it's something I'm having a it's, – it's just purely selfish. It's purely selfish because I've always thought of myself as, oh, sure, I'm great. I love other people. But, like, when you actually have to do that and you have to start changing the way that you do stuff in order to accommodate that change in your life or that realization, then everything takes on a whole different tone. Now it's like, well – I, I'm doing this because because this is what other people need out of me, and it's like, it doesn't make it any better. <laughs> it it certainly doesn't make it more fun. But like, I guess getting to the point where you really accept that is a big part of growing up, really, really growing up, mm-hmm. which is a, a piece that I have still not completed. I would I would still just love to have a bunch of speed in the morning and then just run around. But like, that's not going to get stuff accomplished for the stuff that I need to do. Yeah, boy, the the. Uh... I made a list the other day of the things that I needed to do because not having a list meant that those things just kept, I would be, uh, <clears throat> I'd be sitting in a state of, you know, kind of like momentary, uh, relaxed reflection. And all of a sudden, uh, the Kool-Aid man would bash down the door and go, <laughs> Oh yeah, your Vespas need repairing. <laughs> And I would go, my Vespas? I haven't thought about my Vespas in six months. I'm, 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 I got, I'm doing another thing right now. Oh yeah, I oh, know. Yeah. I know you haven't thought of it. That's why I just broke your wall. Oh yeah, your water pressure's low. Gotta call a plumber. <laughs> and I'm like, water pressure? Like I'm, like yes. For the last two years, I have th- thought to myself, I should call a plumber and get my water pressure uh, looked at. But that is not a thing that I want to interrupt me right now. Oh yeah, your barn is going <laughs> to collapse. And this Kool-Aid man just keeps fucking crashing into my into my reverie and I don't have very much time anymore to sit and just like be at peace. And so, you know, uh, anxiety breeds anxiety or something. This guy it's just it's just a Kool-Aid pitcher full of free range anxiety. That keeps kicking down my door when I don't need it. I don't him, so. think we've ever been more alike than we are right now. Oh my god! <laughs> oh yeah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a possum at, in at, your roof still. I'm Might be at, a gray. I'm looking at pictures of him right now. He's he's a, he's a jolly pitcher of Kool Aid carrying another pitcher of Kool Aid. I forgot about that. That's a little weird. I never. I guess I never thought of that. It's a recursive right? home invasion. <laughs> But anyway, so I had to make a list of these things and then putting them on a piece of paper at least, you know, and it was one of these lists that had like a subset one subset lowercase a must also must rid (laughs) must decide if possum has had babies. Also, (laughs) no. Also rid the house of possum babies. Oh, God, I hate that thought. Um, that's me. That's me and mice in the garage. Oh my god! I'm like I'm trying to explain to my daughter. I'm sorry. I hate putting down these glue traps. I know they're awful, but all we need is like a week and a half of not noticing this, and we're going to be overrun with rodents. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. the rodent thought. Oh, it goes through my head. What about dry rot after that? Uh, after that, uh, that awful thing where the balcony broke off in Berkeley. Oh, I've got two. Like, I've got two major dry rot spots in my house, and they're like everybody's coming out of the woodwork. All the engineers, you know, helpfully come out and go, "Oh yeah, there's like three different problems with that. Like that was not properly vented. That's dry rot. There's too much moisture right there. That's oh yeah, that's that's a classic engineering problem." And I'm like, I'm, I spend so much of my time thinking, I wonder which classic engineering problem is going to get me. <laughs> like something else, guy. That would have been a five dollar repair. You yeah. need to get a new bolt in there. Now well, you need a new house. Dummy. Hey, remember, remember when the guy said that your car needed new bushings, and you said bushings? I remember my timing belt 
<laughs> my wife said, you know, really, really need to get that timing belt looked at. And I was like, it'll be fine. Jerry would tell us if it was that important. Like she's like, Jerry just told us it's extremely important. And then keep, it was seven hundred and fifty dollars. I keep, I keep realizing that you know every day we're all hurtling at seventy plus miles an hour down the road in cars that we all are failing to maintain properly. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's just every time I see a car that is o- over two years old that's driving along in the lane next to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, how long before the tie rods fail? On that car, like how long before uh, there's just some catastrophic, oh, like well, steering blowout? Do you guys have? I'm sure you must have. Uh, you got emissions tests up there, right? Got those, yeah. You know, you got and, and like you think about how many people go and they like fail an emissions test, and you're like, oh my god, like how many more things are horribly wrong with this thing? How many things? Like especially now today, let's be honest, because it's not like the 70s. In the 70s, you kind of had to have your car in the garage a few times a year. It was just because cars weren't as good, mm. and now you just don't have to think about it. You know, you just, just drive, you just drive down. around in this death trap. I, you know, I'm, I miss the the roads being full of old, uh, like crappy cars, uh-huh. and uh, and the fact that all cars kind of look the same now is concealing the fact that there are a lot of old crappy cars on the road. It's just that you can't tell. You I mean like it used to be in the '80s that if you saw a '54 Chevy that wasn't really pristine, you knew it was an old crappy car and to give it a wide berth. You just see were, swingers and comets and LTDs. And like, I think about even in the late eighties, in the late eighties, I had in late in 18, 1988, I was driving a 1970 VW camper. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend, I think it was that year. Yeah. My girlfriend had like a, like a 75 LTD. Like her dad wanted her to have a big safe car. Everybody I knew my friend Sam was driving a 66 Swinger. Like, even then, you would have you would just see 20-year-old cars on the road, and it was not weird. I, I, I dated a girl that you, it drove a 64 Studebaker, and then uh, the next girl I dated had a, like a, um, what was it, like a 62, uh, it was a, it was like the, the, the little Eldorado, it was the... Oh, a Cadillac? Uh, no, no, I'm sorry, not Eldorado. What am I? Fucking oh, 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 El Camino. It was the little El Camino, but it was the Ford. It was the little, the, it was you know based on a comet. Um, what am I trying to say here? Oh, I'm just having a total car brain fart, which never happens to me. It was the little, the little '62 wagon thing. Uh, is it more like a station wagon? No, not a station wagon. It was the it was the it was the El Camino, mm-hmm. but you know the little like truck bed. But it's it got was like a little car. short short bed in it. A little short bed. I don't. Some somebody's listening to this program and they're just they're just disgusted with me because I'm not. As soon as you hang up, you'll think of it. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, right. And they were you know they were just old ratty cars that they bought for two hundred fifty bucks. The thing is that there are twenty year old cars on the road right now, but they just look like contemporary cars to me. Because my eye just sees that they all look like pregnant porpoises. And so it's just like, oh, there's a blob of metal. There's a blob of metal. That one's dirtier but, but than But you that. notice, I feel like you notice the Delta more. Now that more and more people have cars. I don't know. It's weird because we, we had a 1995 Volkswagen until last year. And it was fine, mostly. You know, we, it was not in great condition. But like, it, it felt like such a relic. 
maybe because I live in San Francisco and people are rich, but like it felt like a, it felt like a real beater. You well, just don't you just don't you don't see like a thirty year old car on the road that much anymore unless it's like real cherry. Well, yeah, but the th- the thing is like uh, a ninety four Volkswagen. I mean, Volkswagens all kind of look a little old, right? But a, a ninety four Lexus. Oh, oh, you're talking about the ones that look like uh, like Tylenols. Yeah, right. If you saw a yeah, that thing in the mid '80s, in the mid '80s, all the cars started looking like uh, like a like a like a vitamin. Exactly that that 1984 Thunderbird was kind of the oh, watershed yeah. moment. Yep, yep. The '84 yep. Thunderbird looks like looked like a lozenge, and from that point on, if you t- if you if you go right now and you look up '84 Thunderbird, and then you look at a '94 Lexus, right, you will see the you will see that the one is modeled after the other, and then every subsequent car kind of just looks like a like a newer iteration. Like if you look at a 2014 Corolla, right? I don't know how people can tell them apart. They all look the same. And I and I uh, and partly it is that it used to be that the cars, the designs changed every couple of years, and now if you get a good, if you get a like the Sebring, uh, the '96 Sebring, I think that they are still manufacturing it. It, it with slightly different sheet metal because because of the economies of scale of like it's like an iPhone being able to make a lot of money because they can be, get such good deals on the same kind of part. Well, is, this, that, is that it? You get the same chassis and use it over and over. It is, and people don't people. You know, it used to be that car design was a thing that people took enormous pride in, mm-hmm. and you know. But I just I I want to go back in time and say like if we're going to make a car for fifteen years. Why not make the 57 Chevy for 15 years? Why not make the... Yeah, like a 60, 65 Mustang. Yeah, right. Why not? If, if, I mean, those designs were great. We should, just, we should still be making them at some level instead of still be making the, the 95 Sebring. Right. It's the, like you're saying, it's not, if you're here, you're saying it's not a question of like that these are the same thing. It's just that it's the same thing and it's kind of ugly. Same thing as kind and, of, and just not, you know. Now I'm thinking about like how excited people used to be when the new new cars would come out. It's almost like the way people are now with with like iPhones or or computers or whatever, right? It's like the 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 kind of fan following that people do of electronic devices today feels like it carries forward from how people used to be about cars. Like yeah. this is the car that I'm going to have for two years. Well, I remember one of one my neighbor. I had there's a kid down the street uh, from me named Chris Gills, and his dad bought. A new Thunderbird when it uh, when it first came out, and at that point in time, mid eighties, everybody was really into German cars, mm-hmm. and you know the kind of one upsmanship of teens in in my neighborhood was all about. Uh, I mean, obviously, you had a suburban because every family had a suburban, <laughs> if uh, unless they were like poors like me. But everybody else had a Suburban, at least one Suburban. But then the other car was going to be some kind of German car. And uh, Chris Gills' dad bought, bought a brand new Ford Thunderbird, and it was like, whoa, cool car. Kind of the last cool American car. You're talking about in the 80s here. Yeah, 84. And that was, but I mean, it felt very, it's in the same way that strip malls once looked extremely modern, right? It looked very modern mm. for like a year. Oh, it did, but and I think if I when I see a '94 Lexus, I recognize that it is an older model. Uh-huh. But I couldn't tell you whether I. I mean, I think if I saw a '94 Lexus drive by, I would say that it was a 2006. 
right? <laughs> I mean, I just I have a very vague sense of of car design in the last thirty years because it's just sort of like, oh yeah, after the after nineteen ninety, it just sort of all went it just all went blobular. Uh, but but you did have to take it into the shop because it just that was just a thing you did. Yeah, and now well, you, had all, to get to, you had to get a tune-up. You had to get a tune-up back a then. Tune-up, that's right. Because you didn't. Because there weren't chips. Mm-hmm. There weren't computers telling you that, telling you when the car wasn't running right. A light never came on. The only light that came on was the the light that said you are now on fire. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace by visiting squarespace.com. You can sign up for your free trial account there. Guys, I've been a huge fan and evangelist of Squarespace for over five years now. It's not only the place that I use for hosting many of my own sites, and yes, podcasts, including Roderick on the Line. It's also the first place that I recommend for anybody wanting to do the same. Squarespace sites are professionally designed masterpieces. They look great right out of the box, regardless of your skill level, because there's zero coding nerdery required. You have nothing to do with just get your stuff up. Get it up. Gorgeous. They have intuitive, easy-to-use tools. It takes all the pain out of getting your stuff up. Squarespace also has state-of-the-art technology powering your site that ensures security and stability. Squarespace is trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. Crazy part is Squarespace plans start at a very affordable $8 per month, and that price even includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, which you should totally do. Please go check these guys out and tell your friends about it. I don't know if Squarespace is perfect for every single person in the entire planet, but I know it's perfect for somebody you know. If you want to put up a site for a church or a group or a school, get out of that business of having to take care of all this stuff. Let Squarespace do it for you. It's going to make your friend's life easier. It's going to make your life easier. It's going to get your great stuff up in front of people fast and solidly. Solidly. So go to squarespace.com, and when you sign up for your free account, make sure to use the offer code SUPERTRAIN to get 10% off your first purchase. That's a pretty good gig. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the line. Squarespace, build it beautiful. As I, as I was driving in today, I had this strange thought. I was listening to KIXI, the AM radio station, that often sends me into a reverie. And I realized, and they were playing the music of, uh, that my father loved, and it was the day after Father's Day, and I was getting a little bit of little bit emotional as I'm driving in, listening to the big band music. And then I realized that this isn't a this isn't a real profound realization, but we, you and I, have never lived without recorded music, and and none of our listeners have ever lived a day without recorded music or recorded media. And so, so it's easy for us to not understand how new it is still. Right. But my dad was um, not maybe the, the, the first generation, but, 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 but very early on, in terms of a generation that that understood that recorded media was that that, that their music and their uh, the things that that made up their culture they could listen to over and over it was recorded it it was um, there were original recordings right when I think about my dad's dad the music that he loved uh, was 
from 1913, and it was all sheet music. It required that people play it on the piano. Right, right, yeah. And so, so with just that in mind, in my own life, in my own family's life, I am only the second generation in the whole history of, of my family to have the benefit of recorded music. Hmm. And so that means that I am really the first generation that has ever been able to listen to my father's music after he died. Oh, right. Right? The, the, this it would have to be something repertory. Like you would have to go to like some kind of like, oh, it's a, it's Sousa Day in the park or something like that. Yeah, my dad could have sat down and listened to uh, his mother play, um, you know, like El, Con- El Condor Pasa. Or, you know, or a fat little feller with his mammy's eyes or whatever song was really big in 1913. Uh, But he wouldn't have ever been able to hear the music as his father heard it. And I can listen to the exact same records that my dad heard and experience it through that, that, you know, that first um membrane of of like distance and and nostalgia for i mean i listened to that music sitting at his feet and he was being nostalgic for his youth but it was still alive it was still current mm-hmm. and now i am nostalgic for his youth and i can hear what it sounded like right but like we're we're go- we're gone into a new thing a new sort of unprecedented uh like iteration of memory in human experience and as i was as i was puttering along and and thinking like you know we we have when we look back in time we have this like sort of impermeable barrier somewhere before writing was invented, right? Where we can look back at, we can go back to Sumeria, we can go back to, to uh, like Egypt and Etruscan civilization, but at a certain point you hit that wall before writing, and then the vast, vast, vast majority of human history is just invisible to us. We can only see it recorded in tools and in, you know, like just the marks that we left on the land. And I feel like we've, we're just now at another one of those thresholds where it's already difficult for us to look back before recording and imagine, you know, those people hardly left a record, right? Some paintings, some books, obviously, but not everybody was able to write a book. The books were just a a very small select group of people that ever wrote a book. No, you're right. All you have are the day-to-day artifacts and scars. Yeah. And now, and and you know, and 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 a painting of Napoleon at Waterloo, or a, or a, uh, you know, some sh- some sheet music of of how the music was once played. But now we're 
we're living just on the inside of that first envelope of, or that first next thing where everyone is recording and it's all being documented and, and, uh, and my dad was, you know, he, he, he wasn't aware of being kind of the first generation really that was going to leave that behind because in a way like there was already the radio when he was a kid it was new but it was there and and so he didn't have to make the transition like his father did to this thing to 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 a world of recorded music and i i just i don't know why the why i keep keep churning on that in this space of like all these recordings, what there, there's something like so magical about them. And there's something so fragile about them too. And you know, I'm listening to, to some record that was recorded in 1940 and I'm feeling it on behalf of my own youth at my dad's feet. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling it on behalf of his youth that I, that I, that was kind of transmitted to me. But that's still new. Like, how is my daughter, when she's an, a middle-aged woman and she hears that music, then it's transferred to her through three generations, both the music and the memories, and translated and garbled and, you know, and diluted, but also some aspects of it intensified. Like, and we're creating a new kind of collective memory in those in those weird because that will be such it's such a solitary memory in me it's not a thing that if i didn't talk about it it isn't a thing that would be evident or anything i could share but but it is that but there is that concreteness to it it's the actual original recording and and that will persist right and and 10 generations from now, there will be people who are able to hear that Benny Goodman recording and will that secondary, uh, secondary like footnote, footnoted information along the way, like this mu- music meant something to people in my past. I don't, I don't I, I'm not sure. It, it, it will if 10 generations from now, they're also listening to this podcast. Or, well, this, or, or interacting with an AI. This is the kind of thinking about the future that actually does interest me because it's <clears throat> so easy to very quickly run up against a wall based on our own imagination in the past. And <clears throat> again, to think of uh, Sousa, John Philip Sousa was, was a, if memory serves, was a, a very strong critic of recorded music. One of the many people who said recorded music is going to put musicians out of business. We're, you know, <laughs> there's, if we won't, if we can't play live for money anymore, like w- how would we make money? We're not going to make money off this, you know, and that <clears throat> turned out to be an evolution and things changed, but, but you're just also describing something in terms of like back to the artifact idea. So like your, your father's, like your people who came before your father could only appreciate music in the room. Like there had to be somebody playing the music in the room. By the time your father came around, you had the ability to experience music in a room, but also hear it recorded. Um, but you, it wasn't on demand. It wasn't, you know what I mean? I yeah, think right. about, and I mean, even as I'm thinking of, of being a kid, and obviously you would wait for a song you liked to come on the radio, 
or you would spend money on a jukebox. Like you, you would go out for pizza and you get a, get some quarters to put in the jukebox. Like even then it wasn't an on-demand thing. Or, you know, again, think about photos. Like you might have one photo of your great-grandfather that you really didn't want to lose. And you, there was no such thing as scanning at that time. I guess you could make a, a copy. Be, people didn't do that when I was a kid. You didn't mm-hmm. make, you know what I mean? You had the photo and that was the photo. Mm-hmm. And you did everything to protect it. And now, I mean, I, I've got thousands of photos that I can look at anytime that I want. Uh, and this is all just rehashing stuff people already are aware of because you're alive right now. But then the question also becomes like, when you talk, talk about our kids and how they'll experience this and their kids, I mean, how will the whole medium have changed? Like when I I think about listening to uh, Hank Williams with my dad, you know, that was on an eight track that broke by the time he had died. I could still experience that music, but I didn't have that artifact anymore. It wasn't like his watch. It wasn't like that photo. It was something that was easily replaceable to where today, it's a funny thing now today, every time my daughter and I play in the backyard, for some reason, I don't quite understand. We always listen to Hank Williams. I just always put Hank Williams on, maybe because it reminds me of my dad. (laughs) But we we listen to that old wife beater, that old drunk in in the yard. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's a, but so, but think about this, when you're a kid, my parents like saw music, even with our fairly modest means, with our modest means, music was an investment. So if you, you would, this is back when you would buy something like a time life collection of songs about, you know, the top hits of the sixties or whatever, because that was an inexpensive way to do that. And then you took care of that because you had to, but even that is kind of a weird bastardization of the way people listen to music before that, where you would sit down and listen to an opera or you would listen to, you know, a, um, Beethoven's fifth or something. Mm. So partly, partly what I'm wondering also is like, how is the, in the post streaming and beyond age, like how is the music made going to be different? Like what kind of music? And when they go back and listen to Benny Goodman, will it just be a remix? What we would today call a remix? Like mm. will they ever? Will they sit down and listen to whatever album? I don't even know what was on an album. Seventy eight, Sing 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 is on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The way they consume that, I can't even imagine how different that's going to be. Well, and I think that we're. I, I keep saying in the context of, of. Uh, my race for uh, the city council that, that I really do feel like we are on the verge of, of a a revolutionary transformation that we've been, that we've been gearing up for, for the last 35 years. I mean, I remember in college in the early nineties having a, a, like a wave of comprehension go over me as I understood what the internet was going to be, as I understood what the promise of it was, was meant to be and thinking like, wow, I get it. The internet or the information superhighway or whatever it was we were calling it then. Like I, I got that it was good, that the connectedness of everything, the availability of everything was what portended this amazing change and it still felt like science fiction at the time like one day we will all be connected but it seemed like it was going to be about education and scholarship mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. innovation in in science and things like that and democracy right it was because that's be- what that's where that's what that's the first thing that comes to mind right it's like anybody with any new technology will initially gain if it gains a foot foothold it will be through games and porn generally it's it's not actually you know what i mean that yeah. that's just historically been true since the information age but again our vision for the future was constrained by what had happened in the past right and i always i it never occurred to me that 
even in the in a world of completely shared information that I wouldn't sit down and listen to an, a record on a stereo, right? I mean, it never occurred to me that that it would uh, until I guess the mid nineties. I remember the first time someone showed me a hard drive, and imagining that that hard drive could, and I should have, if I was smart, I should have like, I don't know. There's a million of these, but you know, I I I saw the iPod. Uh, a long time before the iPod, right? And I think probably a lot of us did. Mm-hmm. Where it's just like, wait, if you can put music in the computer, then you could also just have a... And I imagined it as a thing that you put in your car, uh, a hard drive that slid into a slot in your car dashboard and it had all the music in the world on it. Wow. Right, right. But what, but what I imagine that we're actually at right now, the place I imagine we are, is still on the other side of the big of the big leap which is going to be this leap of vr and ai and like distributed energy like decentralized energy power i mean and the way that people i think the way that people even my daughter's generation are going to receive information and interact with the world is going to be so different from ours mm-hmm. that it will be effectively like it's going to feel like an evolutionary leap. And we've been, we sci-fi people have been saying this for years. We've been talking about this for years, but I really do now feel on the cusp of, of this, this big change where the, the sort of internet that we've been experiencing has, it's just been beta and we're we're testing the platform and we're seeing i mean i'm astonished every day when i go on twitter first that i'm still going there (laughs) and second that so many millions of people are still going there like all of the rewards all of the serotonin rewards of twitter from five years ago are gone like twitter is no longer a place of reward it's you know it's often a place of like pure punishment but i keep going there and millions of people keep going there and contributing to it and it's it's like clearly a beta version of something that we don't yet quite have the interconnectivity to accomplish or you know we don't quite have the vision to even see what it's going to look like but it's it's there like the where our toes are over the line mm-hmm. and so the idea of like benny goodman this original recording it's entirely possible that you know that a future generation will when that music comes up they will be hearing it they'll also simultaneously be hearing the remixes of it and simultaneously be like gorging on all the information of Benny Goodman, all the, all the, all the data about him, all the cross referencing. I mean, the, their, the access to all that information, um, they might listen to it and, and have way more access to it than we do. 
but in a way like never have the never have the what what's going to be lost the 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 emotional connection to it or the personal context it's it's the thing is it's all so impossible and i had this realization i don't know probably about 10 years ago now that of realizing that every generation every decade really but really every year every you can really gauge uh, uh, let's let's say a generation but you start to really gauge that generation by what stopped seeming impossible in your lifetime or, you know, again, you can take that down to a week. Like, what stops seeming impossible this week? Because the, and then part two of that is it's virtually impossible to know where or when something will stop being impossible and what those things are, you know, and because that's the nature of, of innovation. And that's the nature of actual development of all kinds is that like Tesla's kind of about cars, but it's really about batteries. And once you have something that can do batteries the way they're doing batteries, we don't even know what all that's going to change. Mm-hmm. Who, who knows? We all started out looking at these fancy sports cars, but like that's not, I don't think, I don't follow this stuff closely, but my sense is that that's not really what this is about. This is, this starts out. I mean, the iPhone starts as a way to say, hey, you know how you hate your phone? How about you have this thing? And now it's, it's transformed the way I live my life, honestly, mostly for the positive. Um, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine now not being able to find out like where my family is or be in touch with people day to day. Whatever, that's probably a different conversation. But you know what I mean? That sense of like, what, what stopped being impossible this week? Like, if you think of it that way, you realize like how, you know, all the stuff that seemed like such an easy win, all the whatever post jetpack thinking about technology, it's still not what anybody expected. Who expected in 1999 that music would be the way it is now? It was the single biggest year of sales for CDs, right? And that's what, 16 years ago? (laughs) That's like, that's a blip. And and that's completely changed. Well, and and when you say post jetpack, like like you and I both were raised in an era where the, you know, the sixties were such a, um, were such a high water mark in a lot of ways culturally. I mean, and I don't mean high water, like that it was all great, but just like it was such a surge. Like, I can't believe that happened. Right. And also that, and also that we almost within, within the space of a year and a half, our country almost completely fell apart with civil unrest, and we put somebody on the moon. Yeah, right. I mean, and six, 19th, there's a bunch of good books about this, but I mean, it's almost everything that happened in the 60s happened in 1968. Yeah, <laughs> including that I was born. Boom. Boom. Hello. Hello, the White Album and John and Watts. <laughs> but you know, like the, the, the textbooks that we, that you and I read in elementary school, uh, and all the way through junior high, were all based more or less on that idea that we were that we needed to beat the Soviets to the moon, and um, and you know Columbus discovered America, sure, but but also that the future was coming and it was going to be, um, and Pan Am was still going to be an airline, but they were going to fly to space. And it was it was never more than a jump and a half away from what we already understood. There's a reason, you know, in 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 the 50s everything looks like a television, you know what I mean? In the 60s everything looks like a rocket. It's like you can't really do three steps ahead of where you are. But what was so interesting to me was when computers first arrived on the scene, I surveyed them, you know, 1979, 80, I guess. Um talking about personal computers apple the apple and you know and other than games 
I did I could not connect those computers to rockets or to hovering cars or to the future, right? As I imagined it. Because they just seemed like expensive typewriters or things that you were meant now all of a sudden they were being colonized by teachers as things that you needed to learn. You needed to learn to do your reports on them. And, you know, they were, they were dull. Yeah. And so, although I was in some ways, like a lot of my peers, you included, I mean, in eighth grade, a lot of us sat down at personal computers and some people never stood up again. Right. Right. Um, but I sat down at them and I, monkeyed around with them and I was like this isn't the future this, this is, the worst. is the, literally the worst and Castle Wolfenstein is not fun enough uh, to it's not even well they would sit you down and try to teach you basic which is incredibly Ooh. appealing to some people but it was not for me no it, me it really it, it felt like the ultimate in like eating my vegetables yeah right super punishment and I remember a couple of things like okay follow this and you have to do this exactly right don't even you know all the spaces have to be right. Every like per, paren has to be right. And you work and work and work. You draw this thing. You, you, you type this bunch of gibberish. And then you, you know, then you type run and push, click, click return. And it is a, like a random tone generator that goes. And if you've done everything flawlessly, the screen will turn yellow for a second. Yeah. Yay. And, 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 it, and, it, and it happened and I was like, Wow. Uh, you guys suck, and this sucks. Like this, what this is not fun or interesting because I couldn't even like I like I turned it off, and then I was like, "Hey, hey, Susan, come here," you know. And my sister comes over and is like, "What?" And I'm like, "Uh, uh, can you uh, help me by uh, I, you know, I've got a a computer program here, and I just uh, need you to like uh, uh just to help me here while I'm I'll, I'll be back here wiggling a wire, and you just you just push return, why don't you?" She's like, ah, all right. Pushes return and starts. Boop, 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 boop. And I was like, oh no, what did you do? Uh, you have alerted the the master control program. She's just already walking away, like mm-hmm. lame. <laughs> and I'm like, it's no good. It's not even good for fooling. And like, even like in the, but the thing is, like, but <laughs> people would would try, calmly try to explain to you. Okay, on the one hand, you go, well, this is going to be the next big thing, and you're like, mm-hmm. You go, okay, but look, if you if you learn this and you master this, you will be able to do things like maintain your checking account. You're like, really? That's the appeal. The appeal of this <laughs> oh. is that I can do something I hate on a machine that I hate. Yeah. You know, and but you know, part of it is also this is I'm pulling this out of my ass, but I think part of it is also when when anyone, when one or when society or whatever is new to a technology, we tend to look at it in terms of this plus that. But there are some people who are able to earlier than others determine that this could mean this times that. Yeah, right. That's that there's that, that there's a way for this to be more than uh, your checkbook plus a typewriter. And, you know, that there could be some something to see in this. I, I've just never, I've never had that. I'm very, I, to this day, I still get everything wrong about the future because it's, you know, it's just based so much on, on what, what you saw before. And I don't know. It's, I really liked video games back then. And the idea, I mean, like arcade games that I couldn't afford, you right. know? So, I mean, I, it would have been great if I could have fallen in love with typing in, uh, in basic, but it just, it had zero appeal to me. So I don't know. I, you know, I, I can only imagine what I mean. I th- I feel like my my parenting style. We went to the to. She got her tonsils out the other day, and we were oh, at no. the yeah yeah yeah, and we were at the hospital, and the uh, the nurse was like, 
you know, trying to, uh, trying to do what you would normally do and, and make a child feel more comfortable. And she was like, you know, would you like to watch frozen on the iPad? And, you know, my kid is fascinated by frozen, but has never seen frozen. So, you know, you sent me a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful version of her singing the song yeah. where she basically just sang this one line incorrectly over and over. And let, it go, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. <laughs> Maybe she had a great dance let for it. Go, <laughs> let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. And she'll do it over and over and over again. And then when I start to sing it, she's like, stop. <laughs> no. And then she'll start again. And I'm like, okay, I am not singing along. But, but, that is very different from some of my friends whose who uh, whose attitudes about technology and their kids is just like let them have it let me, let them have at it because the future is going to be writ in these new words and the, these new technologies and so um, you know don't you shouldn't protect your kid from uh, videos or or Disney because this is just the it's the new language. And don't raise them to be a, a weird hermit. But like my instinct, I just cannot, I, I cannot uh, like loose the dogs of war like that. And so I don't know if I'm doing her a disservice by not already having a VR helmet on her mm. and tr- training her training the different hemispheres of her brain. I got I got to read I got to read on this. Mm-hmm. Uh which is that I I think and you tell me if I'm wrong but I what I what I get from you is that there are it's not that you're like a, a overly cautious or conservative person but I think you do have a good gut check in your own in your own mind anyway for like you know, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Kind of like along the lines of first do no harm. It's like is there a surpassing amount about this like, say somebody says, hey, you know what? You know how your kid's real real sassy and energetic? We have a very – we have a pill we could give her that would be very minimally invasive, and there's a okay good chance that it would have good effects. Like, if that's the case, like, I could think of, like, 50 reasons why you would go, not only am I not going to do that, but I'm going to punch you in the nose for suggesting <laughs> that right now. Yeah, right. Because you have – there's certain things where you're – like, I get the feeling I can't even tell you what all those things are. I think drugs and alcohol are amongst them. Uh, but there are certain kinds of things where you go, well, you know, no, we're not going to avoid that because it's okay to be bored. It's okay to be a little bit behind. It's okay to be different, right? right? It just seems like there's certain things where you're like, that's some, that's just as, just as important as being able to read as being able to be bored. Well, and also, like, ultimately, I am very suspicious, as I think we all are, of the, like, fast pace at which the corporatization of everything is happening. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately when I look at frozen and I perceive it to be tied to a global marketing campaign of music and dolls and stickers, dresses, and costumes, events, right. When yeah. I see, when I see that it is ultimate, that, 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 that somewhere in Hollywood, there's a team of people sitting around a big table who are saying the word monetize over and over again. And, and I recognize that the line between them and the creative team who are in a separate room sitting around a separate big table is uh, – I, I recognize that that line of connection is purposely 
obfuscated even within that company so that those creatives sitting around that table can, can convince themselves that they are artists and that they are working in an artistic medium and they are building a thing that is that has its own merit and has uh, and communicates good values to kids and is positive and you know all that stuff but the that line of connection between that room of creatives and the rest of the company who are all like like I was in a thrift store the other day and there what behind the counter was some in its original packaging Tron merchandise from the Tron reboot. <laughs> and it was like a little collection of it, five or six different pieces. And it was evident from the way it was packaged and the way it was, you know, marketed by its own packaging that the that the the concept or the sense that the that that they had about this was that these characters were going to be so popular with kids that they were going to be able to differentiate between the flying disc that Rod had and the oh, flying right. disc that Chip had. And You mean the, the, the disc that contains your brain that you should never lose, that you use as a weapon? That's the one. Mm-hmm. And that all, that, that all of this, all of this like... That's was like putting g- your brain in a sock and hitting somebody with it. <laughs> what, you, what, you don't do that? <laughs> <laughs> but but like that that it was it was obvious that the marketing team had it in mind that these were going to be as popular and as widely understood as lightsabers and that the difference between Luke's lightsaber and Darth Vader's lightsaber that, I mean that's a very clear distinction and if you want one you probably don't want the other and these Tron discs that were connected to the names of these characters, uh, Jeff Goldblum and, uh, and uh, Barney Fife or whatever. Um, and it, and I'm looking at these things and I was like, I, I, I was the target audience for the first Tron. I know this world. I know Tron world pretty well. And I don't give a shit about these toys and no one ever did. And that's why they're in a thrift store in their original packaging. And that, that world, that mechanism that's behind everything that is being distributed now as good for kids or most things. It just, my suspicion of that trumps any message that they claim frozen is real, you know, any like positivity or, Mm -hmm. or like togetherness. And so, and I get very confused when I come up against like, First, the My Little Pony universe, where there's so much secondary writing about the message that it's, and all that secondary writing is stacked up against all this merchandise. And you go, you know, do, wh- which, which instinct do I follow? The, the one that sees this pile of merchandise and goes, yuck, or all this secondary writing about friendship is magic that you know, that maybe tells a different story that maybe I should be more curious about. And then all the way to adventure time where everybody I know, all of my grown up friends all say adventure time is amazing. And it's a, it's into this other world of smart and also caring and good for you, literally good for you and made by real people who are legitimately good and weird people. 
that we know, like we actually know the people that make it. Um, and trying to, you know, trying to decide like how much of this to let through. And then I, then I turn to episodes of Mr. Rogers that were made in 1972 and I go, you know what? I know, I know what I'm getting here. Mr. Rogers never tried to sell me anything. Right. So I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know what, how I'm going to continue to, to, to be a, a good marshal. I um, uh, because of a a, a show I did with uh, John Syracuse recently where we talked about sports. You could basically take everything I feel like everything you just had to say about those entertainment properties, and just change that to sports, and that's where I am. That's and it's it's hard to find a friend sometimes because I like a lot of the stuff you're talking about, as you know, and I'm, I'm yeah. not not about to argue with you about it. But like that's me in sports, and it's like it's so hard. It feels so lonely, and I won't go over this because I've already been yelled out enough on the internet this week about this. <laughs> but like it's 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 so strange to me to feel like say like I here's what I say, and I'm not very good at arguing, but but so I, I'll say, well, you know, I think it's really strange how obsessed adults are with sports and sports culture. I think it's really odd. And I think it's, it's, uh, it's kind of strangely privileged how much people are able to piss from the high ground just because sports and like say, well, you know, you're the weirdo for not feeling this way. And then I say that. And then people say, well, you didn't defend that very well. And I go, uh, I know like, it's weird that I have to defend that. That's the entire fucking point of what I'm saying. It's like, you are, you are soaking in the hegemony here. If you can't see how weird it is that you can say from that position that you can say something like, well, you didn't make a very good case against sports. It's like, why should I have to make a good case against sports? Why should you have to make a case against saying like, I don't, I don't want my kid to be in the princess business. Like, but you, then you end up being the weirdo because there's something about that that just doesn't feel good. Well, so I was, so at this very same thrift store, as I'm walking out the door, I'm sort of standing there, uh, standing there sort of in the entrance and is standing there with me and she points over my shoulder and she says, what is that? And I turn around and it's a four foot tall pink coffin. (laughs) What? And I and we're looking at it from behind, and I go, "What is that?" And she says, "Is that a kid's coffin?" <laughs> Wait a minute! In a oh my god! In a thrift store? In a Goodwill? Oh my god! And for, so I'm like, for sale. Pink, so I'm like, pink coffin, never okay, used. I, I, I have to go. I have to go look at this now. And she's like, "I don't think that you should." And I'm like, "No, no, no! I need to see what this is." So I go back in the store and I go and I look at it, and it is a toy object that is connected somehow to vampirism. Okay, okay, but it, it but it isn't clear. It's not branded Twilight. It's or, probably that, like, I don't know what it's called, but there's that, that, there's like a kid's show and a kid's franchise. It's all about these, like, vampires in high school. Oh, right. I've seen this. I've yeah, seen but they this. got, like, big eyes. Big eyes. They're, they're like brats. They're like, they're like, they're like undead brats. Undead brats. I've, I, I actually walked in on some kids watching that show one time and sat down in a chair and watched it for three or four minutes and was like, this is the most polluted 
uh, entertainment I have ever seen. It is how they respond. Uh, well, you know, they were all six years old. I was, and I'm sitting there in the back of the room, going, "This is pollution. This is absolute soul pollution. It's not mind pollution." You haven't it's, you haven't gotten into the the Disney Network yet. It is soul pollution. You children need to go outside immediately. You need to go splash your faces in a bird bath. You need to you need to bury yourselves in the dirt. And you hope. need you need to you need to poke yourselves with things and get infections. You need uh, to fight with sticks oh my with God. other children in the neighborhood. You need to cleanse your souls of this garbage. I'd love to hear what you think of dog with a blog. Yeah, well, uh, one day I'm sure I'll see I'll consume all these media. <laughs> but so I'm staring at this coffin, this four foot tall pink coffin, which has a, like a heart cut in the door. Um, and and I'm reflecting on vampirism as a children's uh like diversion a children's diversion or or like a fetish culture for kids and like your pink undead coffin which then i opened it up and it was like uh, it's it was meant to be used as a dresser or it had shelves in it the Uh child was not meant to climb into the coffin this was a decorative element for your six-year-old goth (laughs) princess it's pink Six-year-old goth vampire princess, and I'm and I'm just thinking all the different boardrooms where people pitched story ideas that eventually resulted in a thing where this coffin was made real in the world, and it all every one of those stories. But they stood in a room. They thought about how to name it. They Mm -hmm. thought about what the packaging would look like. And they managed to make it through that entire process and still say, we should sell a children's coffin. Let's build this, man. It's life size. The kids will feel, you know, and so, and this thing, I mean, I don't know how old it it is. It's old enough that it's in a thrift store, but, but, um, but I don't think that old because I can't imagine I can't imagine that these were things that they that certainly wasn't vintage, right? I mean, this is a brand new, a brand new confluence of ideas that a child would even know what a vampire was, would want to be one, but would still want to maintain a princess status, right? Or that it would be connected to princessism and Prince, uh, princessism. Princessism, which is the which is now like mm-hmm. the, the 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 biggest ideology in the world as since, far since as I the can Bull tell. Moose Party, <laughs> and so you have vampirism, princessism, and and you know, and it's full of little decorative sort of like there's Victoriana in it because it's also a little steampunk. <laughs> God, what an abortion! And I'm just I'm looking at this thing and I'm just marveling, but I'm also I'm also listening to all those people in J Crew suits who were approving these ideas and saying like, listen, vampires are big right now, but so are princesses. How do we get, how do we capitalize on this? Light wait, bulb. Wait, <laughs> wait a minute. Vampire princesses. Am I, who's with me? And, and that by the time that, 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 that you're at the receiving end of that like garbage hose, <laughs> you've been, you've been like hit with a, with like a meat tenderizer, a cultural meat tenderizer so many times that you feel like, oh, sure, this all makes sense, right? Of course, my my, my kid loves being a princess and vampires. Is, seems like she's old enough for vampires. She's six years old, mm. and and then you are you're like you're just in this you're in this place where you are literally living in a garbage hose, and you don't even know it. You think you're doing good. You think you're doing 
You think you're being a good parent. Um, and, and you can't, and it's so hard to even take that tiny little step back and go, wait a minute, did I just buy my daughter a coffin? Ha <laughs> <laughs>